Hey ladies, welcome to the Woman Podcast. My name's Katie Beza and I'm your host. And this episode is a continuation of a teaching series that we have started this year in 2021. So our good friends Rebecca Shatswell and Heather Hoyt will be leading us through the Gospel of Luke. And this teaching is recorded live at New Life Church in Conway. If you're local and you'd like to join in person, we would love to have you. We meet Thursdays at noon. And we hope this resource helps you as you read along in the book of Luke. And we hope that it encourages you that you can read the Word of God and you can get something out of it. So tune in and we hope you enjoy. Hey, ladies. Hello. Welcome back to our Sisterhood Bible study on the book of Luke. And uh, you might have noticed that we have two voices in here this week. Yep. I'm Heather. And I guess I'm supposed to tell you I'm Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we are excited to be with you again. Uh, We hope that you have been enjoying um, some of the record-breaking snow that we have had uh, this week. Like to the tune of 20.2 inches in Little Rock. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been absolutely incredible. And in fact, (laughs) we've been bunking together. Yeah, there was a small downside in our family this week. (laughs) Our heat went out and... And then a generous man came and fixed it, and then it went out 24 hours later. So we've been real close as a family this week, hanging out with my sister and my other sister and our family of four. Yep. It's been tied up in the quarters. But it's been awesome. And they have heat, which is really awesome. Which yes, is we do. Which is not the case with everyone right now. <laughs> It's been really cool to experience the snow with the family, for sure. Um, And uh, we also, I I do want to mention this as we're getting started. uh, You know, there's a lot that's going on in the state of Texas right now regarding the snow, and it hasn't been so favorable for them. And so if you're listening right now and you have been in a circumstance uh, where you have been without heat or power or water, um, we want to pray for you. We do know that we have uh, one of the ladies that attends our Bible study. She has a son and daughter-in-law in Texas. And um, they have been, for several days, they have been without electricity, heat, and water. And we actually have our brother, his family. They live in Texas, and they have also been without electricity, heat, and water for several days at this point. So um, let's just open it up. I I just want to say a word of prayer um, for these families affected. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord God, that your name is above every name. Your name is above weather conditions. Your name is above the condition of our day and time. Uh, And we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would open up resources for the people of Texas. I pray, Lord God, that you would cause extraordinary generosity to break out among the people of Texas, through the churches in Texas, through the body of Christ in Texas. And I just ask, Lord God, that what looks like a disaster right now would turn into being something absolutely beautiful, that needs would be met, that you would protect people. I pray that you would keep them warm, that you'd provide water. We pray for um, this sweet woman who's a part of our Bible study, for her family. We pray for our brother's family. Lord God, that you would just provide an extraordinary ways. And we bless your name, Jesus, and we thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So last week, um, I kind of ended things and I gave a suggestion for those of you who may want uh, just a little bit of fun research. Uh, I gave you two options to think through. And uh, in the end of chapter three, we have the 77 generations from Adam to Jesus. And we've talked about the importance of names. And so I thought if anyone has free time, you know, if, if you were in the snow without children, you might have had some free time, but you might not have had some free time this week. And that's... A, that's I don't think anyone did it. <laughs> I don't think anyone looked up 77 names. No. You can prove me wrong. Please do. <laughs> Text me and let me know I'm wrong. 
I don't think maybe they didn't look up all 77 but maybe you looked up some um also the other thing that I thought would just be interesting if you had a moment of research is just to look at the similarities between the life of John the Baptist and the life of Jesus and um I told you that I had just a brief list of some and I think there are many more than what I wrote down uh but but I was gonna, I told you that I was going to tell you just some of them. And so I just want to quickly tell you, and then we're going to hop, hop right into it. Um, first of all, Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied about both John and Jesus. Uh, both John and Jesus grew, and the Word tells us about how they grew. John and Jesus both went through wilderness seasons. Now, John lived in the wilderness, and Jesus went through a 40-day period of the wilderness, like we're going to talk about here in just a second. Uh, both John and Jesus, we were kind of giggling about this a little bit earlier, addressed the Pharisees and called them broods of vipers. <laughs> and um, in two separate moments, John didn't hold back, uh, neither did Jesus. Uh, and then um, we see moments where John and Jesus were both considered prophets. John and Jesus both announced the good news to the people. They were both arrested. They were both executed. Um, and But then we have differences. There's a difference. Both of them baptized. John baptized with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire, etc. So there are a lot of different uh, things that you might find. I would recommend starting with the life of, of John. It's a little bit shorter record in Scripture. And then you can kind of bounce it and go and look at the life life of Jesus uh, and see just how incredible. Um, but uh, Rebecca actually was thinking through some of uh, the story of John the Baptist uh, and the baptism and things like that. And she just had some thoughts bouncing off of last week. And so we thought we would just tag team today. I mean, we've been living together for the last three days. So we thought we would tag team teach uh, today. So yes, go ahead and get us started. Yes, so um, let's go back to the brood of vipers statement. We're in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. This is John the Baptist talking to the crowds. It's the first time that we hear John the Baptist directly, openly address the crowds who are gathering, who are coming for baptism. Mm -hmm. And his first statement is, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I love that because I was not taught that about John the Baptist growing up. I knew he dressed a little weird and ate weird things. He yep. had, you know, dressed in camel's hair and ate locusts. And I knew he was a little bit of like a fringe person. Um, and I knew he baptized people for repentance of their sins. But I didn't know John had an edge. I didn't know he was bold. Um, I don't know if you've ever written a message to share, whether it's with a small group or with an entire church. <laughs> but I bet you did not pick the same open statement you probably did not say brood of vipers usually it doesn't go well after that point i mean you can basically say it's all downhill you that's know? not how you win friends and influence people no, I've never first of all i've never been called a snake i hope it never happens but if it does i'm probably not listening to much that follows that statement but that was not what happened here i mean john was bold he was harsh he probably came across offensive and yet in verse 10 what did the people say in response they said what then should we do which amazing. is amazing it it's tells amazing. you the power of the holy spirit was on john speaking because instead of them being offended and walking away their hearts were pierced and they knew there was a truth that he possessed that they desperately needed and mm -hmm. so i love that they did not get stopped by their offense and not pursue even further what is this truth that God is trying to speak to us. So good. And then, um, you know, he also says this, don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. In other words, when he's addressing the Pharisees and Sadducees and calling them vipers, he's like, I know what you're thinking in your mind. You always think this, like, Abraham is our father. That is who we are descendants of. So we're good because mm -hmm. we're part of the chosen people. We're the people of the covenant. We're people under God's blessing. So surely all these harsh statements that you're 
making cannot be applying to us because we can check every box that we know in scripture it tells us to check and I just thought about how quickly when somebody begins to speak the word of God an uncomfortable truth that we don't want to hear how many of us very quickly just say in our hearts we're good I'm good Mm -hmm. you know I've already checked all these boxes I've already prayed the sinner's prayer I've already made Christ my Savior so I'm good I don't need the truth that you're trying to share with me I love that he addressed that straight out and so then when they say what should we do John just starts giving them simple examples he says produce the fruit of repentance and I love that he says that because we can think of repentance as just a moment in prayer Mm -hmm. where I just recognize before God my sin I confess it to him and then I walk away and go okay God I've repented but John is saying repentance is not a prayer moment it's not even just the moment of baptism which is a symbol of repentance but he's like repentance is means that your life will change Mm -hmm. and things about your life will not look the same if you are choosing repentance it is going to change everything about you so when they're like okay so what are you talking about he just starts listing off examples those who have two shirts need to share with the one who doesn't have any. Mm-hmm. Those who have food need to share with somebody who doesn't have any. And then soldiers come and ask, what should we do? And he says, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. He has a different word to each person that is asking, but it is based on the thing that is hardest for them. The thing they don't want to let go of. Mm-hmm. The thing that, they, that they've made about themselves, that they're clinging to. That's the thing that he keeps addressing. And then the people looking at John begin to think in their hearts, is he the Messiah? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because they're recognizing the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing through his life, which just like Heather said a minute ago, there are a lot of similarities between John and Jesus. Mm -hmm. John is filled with the Holy Spirit while he's in his mother's womb. Jesus is doing all of his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. So people definitely are recognizing there is the power of God coming from this man. Is he the Messiah that we're waiting? on and John knows what they're thinking which is only coming from the Holy Spirit but what John says is so huge I say I wanted to just stop and focus on this before we move into chapter 4 because the more I have read about John the Baptist the more I realize he set such a high bar for us to follow because he had a strong anointing and a strong gifting and major influence over many people but you see as he grew grew in his influence, he grew in his humility, and he never got himself confused for Jesus Christ. He never absorbed the glory that he was meant to deflect. And he drew a line that was so clear for people, and this is what he said, verse 11. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. Mm. That's huge because Mm -hmm. that was the role of a servant. And John is saying, I'm so far less than him. I'm not even worthy to be called his servant or his slave. Mm. Like, If he was here right now, my face would be in the dust. That is how far below this man I am. And he says, he continues, I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then he says, his winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. In other words, he starts explaining explaining to people, this man that's coming after me is so much greater than I am. He basically is saying he's king. He is judge over all. He is the ruler and I bow to him. I follow him. I am not worthy to be compared to him. John doesn't call himself a prophet. He doesn't say I'm the one that came in the spirit and power of Elijah that you've all been waiting on. He doesn't talk about his position or his gifting. He says, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And later, Jesus will tell us, of all the people born of women, there is no one greater than John. Jesus will tell us, 
from his perspective, John's as great as they come. Yep. And from John's perspective, he is so unworthy of the man that he is talking about that he is leading people to. And I just say that because I think there are so many similarities like Heather was mentioning between John the Baptist and Jesus. But when John communicates the two, he says, no, there are more differences than you can imagine. I'm so far below him. But what's encouraging to me is John shows us an example that God can give us a great anointing and we can walk in humility and not make it about ourselves. Not start absorbing the glory that comes with the gifting of God on our lives, but stay in a place where it is purely about all glory and all worship and all honor belonging to Jesus Christ alone. I think it's so powerful. So amazing. That doesn't make you want to run around the room. Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, So... Rebecca, we were talking about um, the process that Jesus went through in his baptism, setting him up for uh, that wilderness season. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that just a little bit, what, what we had talked about? Yes. So, you know, John, uh, Jesus lines up in the line with all the people getting baptized by John the Baptist, which I think is amazing because amazing. no one knew who he was. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, man, if I would have been in line behind him and had no clue what right. in the world. Right. But his baptism doesn't go like anyone else's because the heavens <laughs> open up. Correct. The Father starts speaking. <laughs> the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. So clearly he's not like anyone else. <laughs> But it's really cool to me because after that baptism moment, the Spirit of God immediately leads Jesus into the wilderness. And Heather's going to get into the wilderness moment in a minute and all the temptations that he's going to confront. But you see, as Jesus begins to explain scripture after scripture to confront and combat the lies of the enemy, that the actual scripture he is looking at is from Deuteronomy chapters 6 and 8. So that place in scripture is the place where God's own chosen people had been delivered out of slavery and they had gone from that slavery moment and total deliverance right into the wilderness. And I think scripture's trying to teach us that Jesus following his father's instruction in water baptism was similar to us following his example of coming out of the slavery of sin and out of the waters of the judgment of God and immediately going Mm. into a wilderness experience where we are now being led by the Holy Spirit for the very first time. We are hearing his voice, we are responding to him, and we are reorienting how we listen to the voices that we are hearing and who we obey and who we don't obey. So I think of his water baptism moment similar to our salvation moment, the moment we're delivered from our sin, the moment God breaks the slavery of sin off of our life, the moment the waters of God's judgment are stopped because of the sacrifice of Jesus being Mm -hmm. enough on Mm -hmm. our behalf. And then immediately after that, the heavens are open for us. We begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit like we've never heard it before. We begin to feel Him on the inside, giving us direction, giving us insight, giving us the Word of God to combat the enemy with. And then Jesus' transformation in the wilderness is so powerful when He comes out. He's definitely not the same. So, It's amazing. You know, it reminds me of... Is it in Hosea, where he says, I will allure her to come with me into the wilderness, and when she comes out of the wilderness, she will no longer know me as master, but as husband. That's good. And it, and it really is, you know, each of us go through periods of time that we might even identify and call wilderness seasons, mm-hmm. but I believe that the promise of the nearness of God is ours and and there's a difference when we walk through a wilderness season and acknowledge the presence of God in it the way that Jesus is about to what we're about to read that we will come out on the other side of that wilderness filled with the power of the Holy Spirit mm. knowing the intimacy with God like we have a choice we can either look and face wilderness seasons and and kind of shake our fist and you know and, and get to a place where we can become hardened or we can recognize that anytime we step into a wilderness season, it is by invitation of God himself. And he never says, I'm sending you into a wilderness. He says, I'm leading you to come with me yes. into the wilderness. And, and so, then out of it. And then out of it. 
Right. And I love that Jesus found himself in Scripture. Like, he went to a place in Scripture where God's people were in the wilderness, and he resonated with that Scripture, and he stood on those Scriptures when the enemy showed up. That's right. And I'm like, if that is how Jesus walks out battling the enemy, why would we think we do it any differently? Man. Why Mm -hmm. wouldn't we find a place in Scripture that resonates with us and grab a hold of that truth so that it's right on the tip of our tongue the moment the enemy starts speaking? to us. It's just really powerful. So powerful. So chapter 4, it starts out in in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all at that time. Ate nothing all that time. Okay, sorry. I was like, is there a typo in my Bible? Jesus ate nothing all of that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, I mean, I don't know about y'all. If I miss a meal, my tummy is rumbling. (laughs) Jesus is going 40 days without a single piece of food. That's 120 meals. Don't worry, Heather. I did the math. (laughs) Thank you, because I wouldn't have gotten us there. (laughs) Math is not my forte. Oh, that's a lot of meals. (laughs) That's a lot of meals. (laughs) And so he was very hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. And then he moves into the next temptation. The devil took him up and revealed to him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. And I'll give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, realize he has said that twice now, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. This is so this is so incredible. We have three different scenarios here, three different ways that the enemy comes in and he tempts Jesus. So he comes in and he tempts him um, immediately with bread. So he's tempting him with this physical hunger. But what I love about Jesus, and this really when you, as we go along and we study the life of Jesus, we will find out that this is his MO. People will come to Jesus, they will ask questions and Jesus won't answer their question. He'll actually ask the question that addresses the root of the problem that they came with. And so Jesus, in addressing the enemy, he doesn't address the offer that the enemy makes. He addresses the issue or the lie behind the offer, right? So the first time the enemy's tempting him with bread, he's hungry, he's tempting him with bread, and Jesus comes back and addresses the consumption of the word of God, not the consumption of human food, right? And the next uh, temptation Uh, The enemy comes at him with an offer of wealth and glory and no boundaries. And Jesus counters with the word of God and addresses the worship of self versus the worship of God. And in that third one, uh, it says that Satan took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he is actually, yet again, we see that phrase, if you are the son of God, right? So what he's doing is he is trying to sow a seed of doubt in his own identity. And if you are the son of God, then you can have this miraculous moment and the angels themselves are going to come and deliver you. What I found really interesting about this particular temptation 
is that he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, but Jesus himself is the pinnacle of the temple. And he tempts him in this moment, telling him to cast himself down from the top of the temple and the angels would come and deliver him. But this man, Jesus, who is the pinnacle of the temple, the plan already was for him to cast his life down for all of humanity, for the salvation of all of humanity. But it wasn't going to be angels that raised him up. It was going to be the Holy Spirit, God himself, that was going to resurrect him from the dead. But the enemy was really trying to say, I want you to buy into my timeline. I want you to to do what is my desire. I want you to come on my terms and cast your life down, right? Um, And so I I thought about how important it is for us in each of these moments. We're going to hear the enemy come and lie to us in very similar ways. He's going to come and he's going to tempt us uh, with things that are very physical. He's going to come and he's going to tempt us with glory and with no boundaries. You can live your life however you want, no boundaries. And then he's going to come. And I think it's interesting that he took him to the church. He took him to the church to tempt him. And again, going back to what you were talking about earlier, that the Pharisees have the issue of thinking, oh, I'm good. I'm good because I'm the seed of Abraham. I don't have to worry about any of these things. And that is, they were the leaders of the church. And so here we have another scenario where the enemy is taking Jesus to church uh, and and causing temptation to happen there. Um, But Rebecca, you said something we were talking earlier about this particular moment Mm -hmm. that I thought somebody that is listening to this really needs to hear this. This is a word from the Lord for someone right now. Um, I just noticed how that third temptation, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. In other words, the enemy's challenge is if you're God's son, then you can put yourself in harm's way and your father surely he's going to take care of you he's issued all these promises about you they're written down surely jesus you remember this promise your father's going to come through with you but the reality is the temptation he was giving to jesus was an offer of suicide Mm -hmm. he was saying why don't you throw yourself down off of this temple and surely your father is going to show up and make sure that you are not harmed And I just think it's important to know and to realize it is in the Word of God that the idea of suicide comes from one place. It is one voice that makes that suggestion to you and I. And it's not just the people that have an extreme mental issue or are in extreme crisis or those that are far gone. Our Savior on battle number three with the enemy the whisper comes to him, why don't you commit suicide? Why don't you try this and just see if your father cares enough to intervene mm-hmm. in your life? And I'm just saying that because we have no idea if we will ever hear a whisper like that or if a person near and dear to us has heard whispers or is hearing whispers like that. But it is important that we do the same thing that Jesus did, that we recognize where the suggestion is coming from and that we do not agree with that voice and instead we replace it with the word of God that we are standing on in our life that we trust God's word not the enemy's word for our life and I mean just to think that he thought this could possibly work to take out our savior before he fulfilled his purpose Mm -hmm. and he's now playing that same game over and over again Mm -hmm. with God's people And I just think it's important for us to realize where does this come from and what can we do about it? Amen. I wonder, Beck, if you um, might just pray for anyone that might be struggling with that. Yes, I would love to. Heavenly Father, we just rebuke every lie of the enemy that would speak 
into the depths of our heart and would communicate a lack of value, a lack of purpose, or the idea that suicide is some sort of solution that will bring about some good thing in our life. Yes, Lord, God. Lord God, we know that that lie, the lie of suicide, comes from the mouth of the enemy. It does That's not right. come from any other place. Lord God, I pray for anyone who is struggling with these thoughts right now, yes, that they will hear this in their spirit, that you do not speak words of death over them. You speak words of life, that you saw them formed in their mother's womb. You placed value upon them before their yes, feet Lord. ever hit the earth, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you know the plans you have for them, plans to prosper them, not to harm them, to give them a hope and a future. I pray that those ears that are deafened to hearing the words of God right now will be open, that you will hear that the Lord your God is for you. you he is this. with you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. That's and so he God. is going to give you the ability to be strong enough to overcome the lies of the enemy being spoken to your mind and to your heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You know, the truth is, the enemy is always trying to convince you that he's the one who has authority so that you will never use yours. Yep. You know, he's been doing it since the garden. He, he came and he started lying to Eve and getting her to believe that God had withheld something from her when God had clearly given her everything but just gave her one rule. And he likes to come in and convince us that he's the one with authority so that we will never use our authority. Because when, like Jesus, we stand firm, we stay submitted to the Father, we quote his word, and we resist the devil, he must flee from us. Game over, enemy. Amen? I just want to encourage us to take the authority that we have been given um, to those who have called on his name. He has given them the right to become children of God, and he has given us the authority to quote his word. He is setting the example for us here in Luke chapter four. This is how you handle temptation. You quote the word. You have the authority because I have given you my name to use. Yes. Amen. And I just want to draw one point before we move through the rest of the chapter. Um, A few weeks ago, we talked about the meaning of names when you are reading scripture to pay attention to names, to look them up, that God is often speaking things through the names in the Bible. The last time that we talked, I mentioned the significance of locations, that places have a lot of meaning. We talked about that moment in Jesus's birth where God shows up in the sky to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem and how that place was so significant because that was where God had met with David at thousand years before Mm -hmm. that and they began Mm -hmm. their relationship and so today i just want to point out we must also (coughs) highlight the significant of numbers you it doesn't take very long of reading in scripture before you realize that numbers are significant and Mm -hmm. you will see repeating numbers throughout scripture so when jesus goes into the wilderness how long is he there how long is his time of temptation and testing 40 days. It is 40 days. And when I say that, I want you to think about any other place in Scripture where you have heard the number 40, where 40 jumps out at you. And if you were here with me, I would ask for <laughs> any suggestions. Heather, do you have any times that you can think of where the number 40 jumps out at you? I think we could look back at the children of Israel out of the Red Sea. Yep. It was, they were in the wilderness season in their life. Was it 40 days? Well, it could have been. It could have been 40 (laughs) days. That's the exact right answer. They should have only wandered in the wilderness for 40 days, but because of their disobedience and their disbelief, they ended up having to stay in the wilderness one year for every day they should have been there. So they should have had a 40-day time of testing, and it turned into a 40-year time of testing until that entire generation of disbelief and disobedience died out. That's a hard lesson to learn. Man. When else does 40 show up in Scripture? Do, 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 do. Heather's like, I'm out. Okay. You, do you ever feel put on the spot and immediately have a sweat stash? Yeah. I have a sweat stash. Okay. You know, just go back to one of the first Bible stories you learned as a kid. In, oh, I got you. In Sunday school back when that happened. Noah's Ark. 
Noah's Ark. Yes. I have two young kids and they know like five stories and Noah's Ark is one of them, right? I need deodorant. Right. <laughs> so, uh, because, right, Noah builds an ark. No one believes him. He and his family yep. get on it. So do two of every animal, which is fascinating. Let's not di- diverge onto that. But anyway, so he saves a, a portion of humanity and all of the animals, right? But how long does it rain? It pours down rain 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm just mm-hmm. saying this to show you that over and over in scripture 40 represents a time of testing the 40 days and 40 nights in the noah example was the time of god's judgment (laughs) falling upon the earth and noah and his family being able to pass through that judgment and their lives being spared so you fast Mm. forward all the way to jesus's wilderness moment and those two moments the time of judgment falling on the earth in noah's life and the time where god's people under the leadership of moses should Mm. have only been in the wilderness for 40 days both of those moments will come to mind when you watch jesus go and defeat the enemy in 40 days a time of fasting where he set aside every other thing so he could wholeheartedly focus on the word of god and the presence of god and he was able to pass the test that the people of god failed in the old testament and he was because of his ability to stay devoted to his father's voice he is the way that we are able to pass through the floodwaters of God's judgment and instead be saved. So, numbers are significant. Just wanted to throw that out. Let's move on. My soul. That's good. Running around the room again. All right, moving on. We have this amazing moment in the synagogue. And I just want to point it out. Uh, when you see the word temple, we're talking about Jerusalem. When you see the word synagogue, it's more like your local body of believers. Yes. Right. And so Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. And it says that he stood up to read the scriptures as was usual, his usual practice in the synagogue. Now, I want to tell you something about this. It's really cool. Um, Looking back into the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31, what we are told is that those who stand to read the scriptures to Israel, they were priests and elders. And then if you go uh, and look into ancient Judaism, you can even see in extra biblical sources that they kind of lay out uh, who it is in the synagogue that stands to read the scriptures. And usually they are considered uh, of a priestly line. But what we what we can say is that everyone who was there recognized that Jesus had actually been trained in the temple. Those are the ones who stood to read the word of God. So everyone knew that he, he wasn't just a carpenter's son. He was someone who had actually been trained in the temple or in, in a synagogue. Sorry, um, don't want to confuse everybody on that one. Actually had been trained in the synagogue. And so it was a regular practice for him to stand up and read from the scroll. But what I also love about this is um, that the Jews are on a calendar when it comes to what scroll is read on what Shabbat or Sabbath day. And now we have a calendar of what passage of scripture is read every single day of the year. And so when Jesus stands up and the scroll is handed to him, he didn't lean over and say, hey, buddy, hand me Isaiah 61. He happens to be handed the scroll that is a direct prophecy of his life. And he begins to read Isaiah 60 or yeah, Isaiah 61. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Getting goosebumps. It says he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All of the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled in your midst this very day. And the very next scripture says that everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Can we pause for just a second? Can you imagine this moment? Jesus, the one whom that scripture was written about, is standing in the synagogue and he is reading the words about himself that Isaiah the prophet had spoken. Wouldn't you have wanted to be in that room? 
Mm-hmm. How incredible. But as we see, this is going to take a turn here in just a second. So they are amazed at the gracious words that come from his lips. But they ask a question that we've actually heard two other times in the book of Luke up until this point, And they say, how can this be? Do you guys remember anyone else who may have asked that question? Mary. Mary. Good. And... Zechariah. Zechariah. Both Mary and Zechariah ask this question. So the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary and says, you're going to conceive a son by the Holy Spirit. She's asking, how does this happen? I'm a virgin. I've not known a man. Uh, and then she's walking in. I mean, it's a good question. Literally, how? <laughs> right. <that> like, uh, <laughs> and then Zechariah, he's a priest. He has walked with the Lord for many years. He has an established relationship with God. He has seen God answer his prayers. He has record of God's faithfulness in his life. And then God brings Gabriel into his presence and he says, Elizabeth is going to have a son. And he starts asking how, but, but there's doubt in his question. Mary's just asking like, okay, tell me how to do this. Tell me how this is going to happen. I'm your servant. Let it be as you say. Zechariah is actually questioning with doubt. And then the people in this moment, they take it a step further. They say, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? What the people are doing right now in the synagogue is they are looking at Jesus as common. Isn't he just like us? Isn't he one of us? It's like they don't look at him with any honor in this moment. They're, they're beginning to question, does, does he have any kind of special rank or position? Because that word common, it means ordinary, without any special rank or position. They're looking at him like, how are you any different than us? And Jesus goes on and he, he says, you'll undoubtedly quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you do in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he goes on to talk about the widow that Elijah helped and uh, how she was a foreigner uh, of Zarephath, of the land of Sidon. And the lepers that came that were Syrian, uh, people who received healing that were outside of the hometown of those prophets. And it's because of this moment right here that we will we will read in other gospels where they said um, that Jesus could only do a few miracles in that place because of their lack of faith. In fact, Matthew 13, 57, it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him because of these things he had just said. Because of their offense, they refused to believe in him. They considered him common and equal with them. This is such a stark contrast from John the Baptist. Oh, yeah. John the Baptist is so keenly aware, I'm only a voice. I am not worthy to untie the sandals of the one who is coming. And yet the people of Nazareth are looking at the Messiah and saying, he's just one of us. He's common. And how often, how often in our own lives has this played out? Can I be honest? This has played out many times in my life. And none of us would ever say out of our mouths, Jesus is commonplace. He's just ordinary. None of us would ever say anything like that. But how many times with my own life have my actions reflected a common relationship or a, a, an idea of just commonality, which is he's just ordinary. He's not anything special. In fact, when John is speaking uh, to the crowds, he's telling them, prove that repentance has been genuine in your life by your life altering, by your life changing, by you living this way. You're going to prove that your thoughts about God are not that he's common. You're going to honor him and the world will see that you are different because this extraordinary Messiah, you've had an encounter with him. And so I, w- I just want to encourage us. I, I, um, I just had a few thoughts on kind of how uh, to tell where we're at, kind of gauge where we're at on this. Is Jesus commonplace to us? Is he not commonplace? Is he extraordinary to us? And number one, if Jesus is common to us, then his truth will be offensive. That is convicting. If Jesus is common to us, then he can't do many miracles in our lives. He did a few in Nazareth. He, he healed a few people, but he couldn't do a lot. 
if Jesus is common to us, then we haven't just downplayed him. We've actually elevated ourselves. That's a little hard to hear. That's a little hard to hear. Because if, if I'm thinking that by the way I'm living... I've made Jesus common. My thought isn't <laughs> that I've elevated myself. My thought might be that I've brought him down to my level, but really, boy, I have exalted myself up to his level or attempted to exalt myself up to his level. However, if Jesus is extraordinary to us, then his truth and even his correction will be life to our bones. If Jesus is extraordinary to us, we are full of faith. It's a miraculous atmosphere, and He can do anything. And finally, if Jesus is extraordinary to us, then we have humbled ourselves and we have exalted Him. This is so amazing. I don't know about you. I think we all need the miraculous presence of Jesus in our lives. I think the the previous seasons that we have walked through, if there's anything that we have learned, it is that we can't make things happen. Like we've got to have the divine power of God. It is not within us to bring the change, to bring the miraculous into our world. It's got to be Jesus. And I want him. I want him at all costs. And so... And I just want to throw in there when Heather's talking about Jesus being commonplace, another way to think about it is, are we just really familiar with him? Mm -hmm. Like, have we been around him a lot or his name? Have we sung a lot of songs talking about him? Yeah. And in that familiarity, we lose that sense of awe and wonder for him. Or we make him human like ourselves mm-hmm. and we lose that he truly is God. That mm-hmm. he He is not like ourselves in that sense. He is the one deserving of all glory and all honor. And so I just know for me, every time I read this story, I'm convicted because... Yeah. Those who grow up in and around the church, we are the hometown of Jesus. Ooh-wee. We're the ones that will have that tendency to say, aren't you just this guy? Mm. That's the spirit that's in all of us if we've been around his name mm-hmm. our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that attitude inside me when he begins to speak, when he wants to do a miracle, when he wants to say anything. I don't want to hear his name so often that I lose a sense of wonder just when I hear it. Man. Yeah. So, so good. And then you want to wrap up the story. So then what ends up happening at the end of the story, after... Jesus explains that the way they are responding to him is the way his people have always responded to prophets. It says, verse 28, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I mean, I don't know what you guys thought the response would be to Jesus' first (laughs) inaugural sermon in his public ministry. (laughs) I don't know what you thought the altar call would be, how many hands would go up, how many people would usher forward so that he could touch them or pray over them or heal them, but none of that happens. His very first sermon, it's recorded right here in his hometown in the synagogue, they drive him out of the city and try to end his life. I think it's important to note from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he established the point that he would do everything according to the will of his father for the approval of his Mm -hmm. father and not Mm -hmm. for the approval of men. Mm. He was not there to speak a word that would make them feel good. He was there to share the truth that would set them free and save them, but he was not going to change his message to meet their appetite or their desires. He established he so was good. there to do God's will alone. I love the strength you see 
in Jesus in this very first sermon. He was there to give the truth. He gave them grace. And at first they were in awe and wonder, and then they began criticizing. And then he gave them the truth, and they could not handle the truth. But I Mm. love to see that Jesus stayed faithful and steadfast to what his father asked him to do anyway, even though the, it was at the threat of his life for his very first sermon. I don't know if I would ever want to preach again after that. <laughs> right. I'd be like, that did not go how I thought it was going to go, okay? Like, maybe I have another calling, Father. <laughs> But Jesus did, and he stayed right. the course. Can We have got to get some endurance. Man. <laughs> okay, that's all I have to say about Man, that. and I, I'm just thinking how quickly we went from amazement to wanting to kill him. It was five verses. Yeah. Five verses, and I just feel like that's a caution for me. It's a caution for us that we don't lose our amazement, that we don't consider Jesus to be commonplace or ordinary, that we renew our mind. The Bible talks about that uh, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that happens when we are in His Word. It's part of the reason we're doing this study. We are transformed by this Word of God when we read this and we're taking it into ourselves. Jesus doesn't stand a chance of being commonplace to us when we are really opening His Word. So yeah, I just I just good. want to encourage you, uh, even if you have struggled with this or like me, you find yourselves quickly slipping from amazement into commonplace and being offended when God's truth shows up. I just want to encourage you, keep being committed to the Word of God. Don't lose your wonder. Mm-hmm. Don't lose your amazement at who Jesus is, His rightful place. You know, He is God from the beginning. He has no beginning and has no end. He is the one who spoke and worlds were formed. He is completely majestic. He is the son of the living God, God himself. And I pray that we never lose our wonder. So there are two other sections um, in the rest of this chapter, and we're just going to leave that to you guys to read through those sections, see what the Lord would say to you about that, see how Jesus is really beginning. He's on the precipice of of his ministry, his three years of ministry. Um, And so I want to just pray and we'll end this thing out. And uh, yeah. And anything else you want to say? Yeah, just preparation for next um, study time together. Just go ahead and read Luke chapters 5 and 6. Holla. Getting into Jesus' ministry. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that when we open up the written word, it becomes by your Holy Spirit breathing on it, becomes the revealed word of God to us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray, Lord God, that we would never lose our sense of wonder. I pray that we would always honor you, Jesus, in the rightful place that you have, that because you were willing to walk out your life the way that you did, God highly exalted you and gave you the name that is above every other name. There's not one name that comes close to it. You are God, and beside you, there is no other. And so we lift our eyes and we choose to walk in wonder and amazement again, Lord God, and we give you free access to come in and speak truth to us. And we choose as daughters and sons, if you're listening, of God to not be offended by your truth, but to let your words be life to our bones in the name of Jesus. And may you always, only ever and always increase, Lord God, and may we increase in our humility. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, ladies. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.